Seoul has gradually adopted a more outspoken position regarding the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait and framed it in increasingly expansive terms, as a regional and global issue, yet also directly linked to the peace and stability of the Korean Peninsula. Nevertheless, the U.S.-ROK alliance faces a gap between such rhetoric and its political, military, and operational preparedness to navigate an actual conflict between the United States and China over Taiwan and the attendant risk of a simultaneous conflict in Korea. In a video released on December 19, 2023, KEI Fellow and Director of Academic Affairs Clint Work sat down to discuss his recent Korea policy paper, Rhetoric vs. Reality, Seoul and Washington's Strategic Alignment on Taiwan with Marcus Garlaskis, Director of the Indo-Pacific Security Initiative of the Scowcroft Center for Strategy and Security. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you for coming to talk uh, about my paper in um, KEI's flagship journal, Korea Policy, uh, which you can see, the issue of which you can see here. And for those who are watching online, we'll post a link to my article, the title of which you can see behind us, Rhetoric versus Reality, Seoul and Washington's Strategic Alignment on Taiwan. Um, so I, I wanted to have uh, Marcus come in to talk about this, given one, your extensive experience on the peninsula, and of course, uh, observing it from here in Washington over the last two decades. Uh, and since uh, you retired, the projects and reports that you and your team have been producing at the Atlantic Council are germane. Um, I think they're really ahead of anything else that I see in the public sphere and are very germane to uh, some of the themes and questions that I raise in my paper. Um, so what I thought we would do is um, I would sort of summarize the, the structure and main content of my paper, hit a few key points, and then ask for your feedback pushback questions uh, as a, spring for, a springboard for discussion Then I have, as you know, some questions that I want to pepper you with sure. um, based off of uh, some of the, the key themes in the paper. Um, and so in the paper, what I do is I, I examine how Seoul has, and we've all been observing this, gradually adopted a more outspoken public position regarding uh, the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Straits and how they've framed this in increasingly expansive terms as a regional issue, a global issue, and I think notably directly linking it to peace and stability on the Korean Peninsula itself, which is an inversion that, uh, to my knowledge and, and tracing of, of documents, is the first uh, I've ever seen. Um, uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I argue and I, I think that the U.S. Uh, Rock Alliance faces a gap between this rhetoric and its actual political military operational preparedness to navigate an actual conflict between the U.S. and China uh, over Taiwan and the attendant risk, which you've examined with your team of simultaneous conflict in Korea, um, including a lack of consensus within, within the alliance about the so-called strategic flexibility of U.S. forces, the role the alliance itself would play under such circumstances, and then the ROK's own individual role. Um, and so in the paper, I, I examine these issues uh, in several sections. And the first one this was much longer in my first draft, uh, so I had to cut it down considerably. But I briefly provide context by looking back at the 2006 U.S. ROC understanding on the strategic flexibility of U.S. forces, um, which was, as you know, um, and I think most people know, left deliberately vague. 
but it was in a context of alliance tension and disagreement that ended up catalyzing a broader joint vision study, which would then produce the joint, the 2009 joint vision statement, this reconceptualization of the alliance, and not just beyond its traditional military and security components to include political, economic, people-people ties, but also to expand the aperture of the alliance itself from a narrow focus on the peninsula to the broader region. Uh, in the next section, I focus on the reemergence in the late 2010s, uh, particularly among U.S. officials, uh, discussions about USFK's potential uh, regional use and pressure and prodding by Washington on Seoul to embrace a wider role for the alliance, sort of consistent with the joint vision statement. And this is, of course, amidst worsening U.S.-China relations. Uh, in the next section, I show how in the context of Russia's war in Ukraine and notably increased tensions around uh, Taiwan itself, Pelosi's visit, uh, et cetera. Um, the uh, USFK, uh, USFK officials, other US officials begin to speak, again, continue to speak about the importance of a potential regional role for USFK uh, and in some more detailed terms. But then I also trace the key turn in Seoul's own signaling under the, the U administration, who, as I alluded to before, has gradually aligned its strategic signaling toward Taiwan, um, not only in and embrace the Indo-Pacific concept as a whole, not only in bilateral and trilateral documents, but in its own unilateral uh, Indo-Pacific strategy document. And then finally, I conclude with a few interconnected risks related to the shift in strategic signaling um, that, that I examine in the paper. And I highlight reasons for Seoul and Washington to really start to enhance their communication about these complex challenges um, and also proceed really deliberately and with caution. And so uh, before asking for your feedback, I wanted to touch on just a few key points in the paper that I think propel the analysis um, and are critical for anybody looking at the alliance and sort of a broader picture. Um, so looking back a decade, uh, over a decade, excuse me, almost two decades now, um, to the joint vision statement, um, it, it's really been critical to advancing the alliance beyond those growing pains in the mid-2000s. And I, I already mentioned this, by establishing the strategic alliance concept or framework. And that uh, this this uh, joint vision statement helped uh, temper some of the differences at that time by nesting them in this in this larger strategic framework, but it did not do away with them. And, and ironically, I argue that actually the very terms of the strategic alliance concept require the allies to confront these differences, especially as the ROK takes on more of a role on the peninsula, builds its capabilities, and as the environment uh, and U.S.-China relations have. Uh, uh, have worsened and the strategic environment, excuse me, security environment on the peninsula has has also uh, worsened as well, given North Korea's um, expanded capabilities. Um, so the alliance, though the alliance has increased, um, has shown greater rhetorical alignment in the ways that I that I mentioned. I didn't mention the specific documents here, but I traced them in, in, in great detail in the paper. You know, uh, genuine strategic commitment. And institutionalized operational planning is a totally different thing, you know, rhetoric and joint statements aside. And so these are th some things I touch on in the paper. And this, this very much overlaps with the, the reports that uh, you at the Atlantic Council have been producing. But so the alliance already has to grapple with the fact that North Korea's own advancing capabilities um, are already making the U.S. security guarantee and existing consultative mechanisms and uh, the, the alliance's posture somewhat ineffective on its own terms, uh, especially if current trends continue in the next five to 10 years and the risks of strategic deterrence failure increase. But simultaneously, of course, Washington's growing focus on China and a potential crisis or conflict over Taiwan 
it just further reduces Washington's capacity to fill its commitments. And even if it's believed credible, its capacity uh, is much diminished. And so particularly if there is a simultaneous conflict, U.S. forces that would otherwise have been slated to go to the Korean Peninsula in a crisis are diverted elsewhere. And additionally, there could be pressures to pull certain forces from the peninsula to address the conflict over Taiwan. Uh, And of course, this pushes puts increased pressure um, on uh, on Seoul, not just to provide support for this potential um, contingency, but also uh, it it puts an even greater burden uh, on its need to uphold deterrence and defense at home. Um, So it gets pulled in both directions. So its capacity issues get exacerbated as well. And of course, in this context, and I know this is something you've looked at very closely, North Korea could perceive the alliance's apparent shift as a way on China or Taiwan as a way to opportunistically aggress or test um, the alliance uh, through lower level acts of aggression in the shadow of its increased capabilities and declaratory policy. Um, and one thing I point out in the paper, you know, if Washington's main focus on in that moment is is more to restrain Seoul in the event of a lower level act of aggression, which it which it has in the past, um, and less about uh, taking punitive action against uh, Pyongyang. Uh, this could expose fissures in the alliance just as they're trying to stand up uh, and, and sort of build up the, the new consultative architecture under the NCG. Uh, this would, again, further erode uh, questions of uh, U.S. credibility in Seoul's eyes and increase Seoul's own need not only to redirect its attention at home, but lessen its appetite to, to contribute more to uh, you know, a regional contingency. Um, Alternatively, of course, is that depending on how the alliance responds in such a scenario of North Korea opportunistically aggressing, it could lead to an escalatory cycle, again, which you, which you lay out in your own reports for the Atlantic Council, um, leading to potential deterrence failure, uh, and then not just horizontal, but vertical escalation, including potentially the risk of limited nuclear use. Um, so... In this context, despite the fact that you know USFK commanders, US officials are talking about a wider regional role, the, the UN administration and South Korean officials have leaned rhetorically more into aligning messaging on Taiwan or the Taiwan Strait. Um, there really seems to me from the outside and, and doing as, as much in-depth research as I can and discussions, a lack of actual in-depth discussions and planning about how they would actually operationalize this. Uh, but of course, the alliance and neither partner in the alliance can continue to view Korea as though it's in some sort of strategic vacuum, right? And this has been, and there are good, good is the right word, there are um, compelling historical path dependencies and reasons for why this has been the case, um, but it's no longer consonant with the strategic environment. Um, and I know you know this, so I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, <laughs> You know, but at the same time, and I'll close with this, um, you know, this is obviously an exceedingly difficult issue. Um, and I allude in the paper to, you know, how intense those debates were in the mid 2000s. I think the alliance has advanced a great deal beyond that uh, in some ways. And certainly the environment has shifted radically. Um, nevertheless, um, it's still a very delicate issue. Um, it's, it's created fissures in the alliance before, and it could easily do so again, depending on how it is uh, navigated. So, you know, I think on the one hand, increasing consultations in the alliance and signaling that they're doing this could have a deterrent effect all its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have to be careful. The alliance has to be careful on how it does this uh, so that its increased strategic signaling and even preparedness 
doesn't actually, uh, you know, uh, such preparations don't actually catalyze the very security dilemmas that they're meant to deter and to mitigate. And this is always a balance, of course. Um, but I don't think it's one that should prevent um, the alliance from uh, beginning to have these more difficult conversations. And so I said I would go for 10 minutes. I think I might have exceeded that. Um, so I'll stop now. And I, I really want to have your thoughts on the paper and then, and then use that as a springboard for other questions, as I mentioned, that I have for you. Well, Clint, I really welcome this opportunity, and I really appreciate uh, you drawing me into this conversation and, and highlighting the work that we've already done in the space. And uh, of course, uh, we had those two main reports that you mentioned, the one about simultaneous conflicts and limited nuclear attack, and then the one about deterrence crumbling on, on the Korean Peninsula. So we're both sponsored uh, by our... Uh, our friends in the uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency Strategic Trend Research Initiative. And, and so, uh, of course, uh, not speaking on behalf of the U.S. government and, and uh, it, just because they sponsored the study, it doesn't represent necessarily their, you know, their views. And then, of course, uh, you know, a lot of other work, um, you know, I've been doing in, in this space as well. Um, and so I just want to say that up front that, uh, of course, this is just my my personal perspective. Um, but I'd like to start actually with uh where, where you ended and that is um the the concern about you if you speak about these things they may come into being mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um and and personally i think that view is a bit overblown mm -hmm. um and uh, i understand it um and there's some logic to it but but i think um we we kind of risk being in this in this uh trap of when it comes to the korean peninsula china being the threat that shall not be named like uh, lord voldemort in, uh, in in harry potter right you know um and and as though that naming um you know china is going to draw China in. The fact is China is already there um, and China itself has gotten so involved in Korean Peninsula security affairs uh, and yet it, it uh, you know, it has done so in a way where somehow we're we're afraid to mention it. And uh, in, 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 when I say we, I'm talking broader, mm. you know, people in the in the in the in the in the, uh, in the U.S. and the uh, and particularly, I think, in the in the region and in the, in, in the Republic of Korea. Uh, and so uh, one of the key conclusions, one of the key recommendations of of the uh, of the those two reports that you referenced was the need to really confront this issue head on and move the the so-called Overton window, the uh, the acceptable uh, range of discourse uh, on this question. Um, and it's pretty clear, actually, that the publics um, in the uh, in, particularly in Korea, but even in the United States, are actually very well aware of the type of threat that that uh, the China poses and that particularly in the Republic of Korea I, I think there's a uh, there's a very strong uh, set of polls that indicate that public opinion has really shifted in the last few years to view China rightly so as a threat and so I, I feel like a lot of times the political mm. uh, discourse is behind um, where the people actually are. Um, and I think it's time for leaders um, in the United States, in the Republic of Korea, other states in the region to show leadership uh, and really uh, help move this conversation more um, in, into the acceptable space as opposed to just being spoken of in hushed tones, mm. uh, you know, behind closed doors. And uh, in part, um, the, these trends and, and activities that you're identifying, it's, it's not so much that, the, um, that Washington or Seoul are actually trying to drive the, these conversations in a particular direction, but they're they're just reacting. Um, and I, I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but they are just reacting. I think to to a set of trends um, uh, that that is uh, really unnecessary to uh, to grapple with in order to really realistically look at the security situation on the on the peninsula in in, in the region. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, in some cases, this is even over. I would say a degree of reluctance. 
um, by some of those leaders and particularly uh, uh, some leaders in South Korea to really openly sort of admit this. And so when you talk about the changes in language um, about the, the way that the Taiwan Straits is discussed and these sorts of things, I find it interesting that actually um, some of this language starts to come in during the Moon administration, right? Mm -hmm. um, when, of course, we, we know that the Moon administration was much less inclined to view China as a threat, came into office actually hoping that even North Korea would not be uh, you know, as much of a threat and certainly inclined to view um, the PRC potentially as a positive actor. But by the time the Moon administration uh, you know, left office, um, there was already on the books uh, a whole series of, uh, of documents and joint statements and these sorts of things mm. that really did uh, indicate that, um, that, that, the, that the ROK uh, government was grappling with the idea that China is posing an increasing uh, security challenge and that the threat to Taiwan is not completely separate um, to a national security threat uh, from South Korea. Not nearly as explicit, of course, as the way the UN administration has been. Sure. So certainly the reluctance um, on the trilateral side was clearly there of the not... not uh, wanting to to uh, to move toward a tighter ROK U.S. Japan security cooperation as a means to counter China, which I think is much more the you know the the UN administration uh, the central element of their approach, um, but. Uh, but it's something that, uh, again, I think has been driven not as an initiative um, from Seoul or from Washington, but just an increasing uh, inability to sort of ignore the fact that the ground is shifting. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say um, that, uh, you know, it, well, a lot of the, the work that we uh, we did in those studies was looking at the biases and how to overcome them. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I do think that um, there has been a, a certain uh, a bias uh, against addressing these issues, in part because of what you what you raised about the the sense that if you talk about them that will increase the chance that they they come into uh, in, into being uh, and, and so the other point I wanted to uh, raise too is these dynamics of, of simultaneity on the peninsula so you really need to look at it um, on both sides is that a uh, a, a PRC conflict um, with the United States over Taiwan, um, which is at its outset would not necessarily involve the Korean Peninsula. Um, the potential, you know, as you mentioned in, those, in, in that report, um, to spread to become a regional conflict to include Korea, it's a very, uh, a, a very real possibility um, for a whole variety of reasons besides North Korean opportunism. That that uh, that, that there there's the geographic dynamics of the Korean Peninsula being right there, uh, you know, in, in essentially in the in the pathway. Um, of uh, of uh, the PRC's ability to threaten uh, some of the U.S. bases in the region, hosting, of course, U.S. bases itself, uh, a treaty ally. Uh, and, and so I, I think to be realistic, um, the longer a conflict with, with China would go on, regardless of where it started, if the, the PRC is attacking U.S. bases, killing U.S. service members, striking out at U.S. interests around the world, uh, the ROK has a mutual defense treaty with the United States of America, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it becomes increasingly difficult to uh, to imagine um, that that there would not be um, an expectation that the ROK would get more directly involved, and certainly that would support um, the uh, you know the uh, the ability of USFK to do things to to uh, to support that fight. But then the other aspect that you didn't mention, I think, it's also really critical. Um, is the uh, is the increasing potential for the PRC itself to intervene uh, in and in, in some way influence the uh, the outcome if the uh, if North Korea were to commit an act of aggression or North Korea were to have some sort of uh, 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 instability or something else that draws in uh, a uh, an ROK in US uh, and even a Japanese response that the PRC itself. 
um, would get involved and in a way that then as a result has a direct linkage um, to the broader uh, U.S.-China strategic competition, of which, of course, the the um, uh, the, the differences over Taiwan are, are very, uh, you know, very much at the forefront of that. Mm. So so I, I think um, that if the PRC um, does intervene in that in that sort of scenario, it could be very uh, problematic for the ROK's national security interests. Uh, and so so I think that there's 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 also got to be a, a psychological and if not a practical linkage of the fact that if you're going to think about how a uh, a conflict or a crisis could could become a dual crisis in Taiwan and Korea. You also have to think about the reverse of how a crisis could start in Korea and then become sure. a larger regional crisis. And I think that is a place where um, Korea is much more naturally, South Koreans are much more naturally going to um, be grudgingly maybe inclined to support thinking about that because they recognize that without the backing of the United States, mm-hmm. um, if uh, China backs North Korea, or China in, in some way interferes on behalf of North Korea, even if it's not necessarily doing so, um, you know, directly in coordination with North Korea. This has huge implications for South Korea's interests as well. So, so, so just kind of assuming away China or pushing it off to the side and, and having to be too con- sensitive of conversation. It's ultimately terrible for South Korean security interests, even if you don't buy the argument that Taiwan's security is directly linked to South Korea's. Clearly, um, that China and its role, the PRC's role, uh, vis-a-vis North Korea and South Korea. A crisis uh, is very uh, indisputably closely linked to South Korea's security. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've, I, of course, like I said, I had all these questions, but now your response is just. Uh, I hope this would Sorry. do. No, no, this is great. Yeah. This is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation. Um, so you know, I effectively agree with a lot of what you said. I, you know, I, the, the objective of the paper um, was specifically to look at this sort of evolution in in, in discourse and, and rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're absolutely right. Uh, it 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 was initiated under Moon, and I, I go into some detail on that where uh, there was it was a fitful process. And, right, right, and, and, right. And it's been fitful under mm-hmm. under you as well, sure, to be fair. Sure. And I show all that, but I think you're. I do note in the paper the con- the, the concern, the risk of of uh, you know South Korea's uh, primary national security concerns being subsumed under a broader U.S.-China rivalry, or or, or you know. A, a, the, the shadow of China itself. And the truth is, as you, you talked about with public polling already showing a, a rather sophisticated understanding that this is already afoot in some ways. So to the point of this not being necessarily reactive, but a, 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 um, or, or a driving this, but but responding to it, this mm-hmm. this uh, evolving um, um, rhetoric. Um, and of course, the piece about Chinese third party intervention on around the peninsula in the West Sea or Yellow Sea. And that's not something I I take on directly in the in the paper um, because again it was focused specifically on the Taiwan signaling. But when I when I allude to the dilemmas around the peninsula, that comes foremost in mind. And and your point is rightly taking that when we talk about simultaneity of conflict, it could be coordinated or uncoordinated. It could start vis-a-vis Taiwan or it could start in Korea. Um, uh, and so there are all these different potential pathways, which of course your reports do a good job of of laying out and exploring. Um, I do want to. I do want to touch. I'll just start with the first one. Um, and you've already touched on some of it, but I guess what I'll ask is, you know, from an alliance perspective, what are some of the central concerns or challenges of a, if a conflict does start over Taiwan, if that's where it does begin? Um, what are the, some of the central concerns or challenges that such a scenario would raise, and how can the alliance best address them? 
No, I think that's a that's a, a great question. I think the the starting point um, is uh, to have good, more open, broader conversations on this possibility, and to make it so that it's not just being discussed uh, in sort of narrow venues or or behind closed doors or in, in hushed tones. That this essentially becomes a central part uh, of the discourse on the threats that the alliance faces. Right? Is this uh, this potential? Um, that uh, a, 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 a U.S.-China war, um, uh, and, and not just a, a war between the U.S. and, and China, but that a, a conflict between the U.S. and a, and a coalition of the willing and support uh, of Taiwan, if the if the PRC launches military action against against Taiwan, that 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 essentially becomes part of the sort of the normal kind of baseline conversation that we have about about uh, security threats uh, in, in the region and about uh, scenarios under which North Korea could uh, commit an act of aggression or uh, the the nature of the threat to the Republic of Korea. Uh, and so, for example, when we talk about um, you know deterring. Um, threats to uh, to uh, to to South Korea, um, it, it gets uh, often uh, sort of uh, becomes shorthand that it's deterring North Korean threats to South Korea. Mm-hmm. And I would argue um, part of uh, addressing these uh, th- these situations and, and really understanding them is thinking about how to deter PRC threats to South Korea, right? Mm. Uh, and uh, and particularly as some of the scenarios that we talk about in the in the reports and as you think this through, um, USFK um, could be targeted by the PRC in the event of a conflict, of right? Course. And so even if South Korea itself um, as a as a country is not a belligerent in the war. The fact that the U.S. forces are present in South Korea, this isn't a this isn't a criticism. This isn't um, you know something that is um, you know uh, uh, a, uh, a I think is is not a net negative for South Korean security. But the fact of the matter is is uh, if there are U.S. forces um, on uh, the PRC's doorstep in the event of a, of a conflict between the U.S. and the PRC, you have to to really seriously think about the fact that those forces may be targeted by the, the by the PRC, mm-hmm. uh, and and so so I think that's one uh, one aspect is the fact that um, regardless of what North Korea does. Um, that the PRC could take uh, kinetic or non-kinetic action against USFK, that that could have pretty significant implications for uh, USFK, uh, both uh, in terms of perceptually, in terms of deterrence, but also operationally. Um, but then uh, moving beyond that, uh, as I think you point out, uh, the U.S. is not uh, does not have unlimited resources and uh, unlimited uh, logistical and command and control uh, abilities in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the managing a, uh, a conflict with the PRC, uh, command and controlling that, supporting that logistically, uh, providing uh, all the, the the forces and the supporting uh, you know, C4 ISR and the command and control, uh, the uh, intelligence, uh, surveillance, reconnaissance, that um, that all um, it, it, it's got to be uh, factored in uh, if you think about realistically how a, a conflict uh, could could unfold uh, in the uh, in the Western Pacific, uh, and and so. Uh, the 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 key again to go back to where, where I started is to really have those conversations comprehensively as as not just an outlier of oh they this is a worst case or a, or a strange scenario but that this is this has got to be part of the main the main conversation that we're uh, that we're having about what are we trying to deter what are the scenarios that are realistic and so so tabletop exercises 
that um, postulate a scenario in which uh, there's this conflict between North and South Korea and China just kind of sits on the on the sidelines and is a is a spectator. Or there's some force field or some assumption that um, that the PRC is not going to participate. Those need to be the outlier, not the norm, right? Yeah. Um, and and uh, and and conversely, tabletop exercises where and and war games like run by you know think tanks, and I'm talking here about the things that are out in the open, not just sure, the things sure. that are behind closed doors. Conversely, the same sort of thing needs to apply. Is that if there is a conflict between um, between the uh, between the U.S. and the PRC, and you're playing out that that scenario around you know say Taiwan or in the South China Sea, uh, that uh, that then also Korea needs to be a factor and not just kind of, you know, have a, a force field around it or this kind of, you know, grayed out area yeah. or, or these assumptions. Right. And and, uh, and so so as you think realistically through these things, I think organically and naturally we'll start moving in the right direction. But if you're relying on the the part of the intellectual ecosystem that's just behind closed doors. Um, and just doing these very sensitive, uh, you know, things that that can't be talked about in public. Sure. If you're relying on them to carry the water for this, um, if that's your plan because of sensitivities, then ultimately you're you're denying yourself um, a lot of uh, the intellectual capital that's out there that can be uh, you know, that can be leveraged. But also you're creating this artificial situation where there's a huge disconnect between what you're talking about in the security space, what you're planning for, what you're preparing for behind closed doors, and what you're doing in public. And so. So the idea that somehow we could solve this by doing it, you know, just keeping it very quiet, yeah. that's not the solution, right? I mean, now, obviously, you don't want to talk the details about, you know, how you're going to allocate forces or how you're going to maneuver or the logistics. But as the reports make it very clear, part of the biases that we're facing are because of the larger um, conversations about uh, these sorts of issues that wall off or, or or assume away certain things, but that infects the thinking of everybody involved, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And so, so I do think um, practical tabletop exercises, the way we, we think, think and talk about scenarios in open forums, in track two, track 1.5 um, uh, engagements, I think that's that's really critical to really grappling with this problem in a more realistic way and changing how, how uh, we, uh, as Americans, uh, Korean allies, others in the region think about these issues. Yeah. Um, I like to, I, you, you brought up the mutual defense treaty. I mean, the language, the language of the U.S. South Korea mutual defense treaty itself. Um, I, you know, I know again, words on paper is one thing; how people understand and actualize it is another. Um, do indicate rather expansive responsibilities on the part uh, of South Korea. Uh, specifically the Pacific area terminology, right? An external attack on either country's territory or administrative territory under their control, um, which means U.S. bases and facilities, not just in Korea, but in Japan, in Guam, if we're taking the, the sure. Pacific no, area yeah. terminology literally, right? So, um, you know, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's an ongoing conversation. But, um, you know, and I, and I joked with you before we started, I don't know if this was your report seeping into the discourse um, and alliance documents, but, and I have a piece with our research intern, Ju Young, coming out comparing the 2019 and recent 2023 defense vision, um, US ROC defense vision statements. And it does talk about deterrence on the Korean Peninsula and preventing strategic uh, deterrence failure. That might not be the exact language from hostile actors including North Korea. So the implication is, I mean, this is, this is plural language. Mm -hmm. The implication is very clear. Right. And they talk about adversaries also in the region. Um, this is new language. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, you, in one of the recommendations in, in one of your reports, not having to name China specifically, fine, 
but having language that indicates deterrence on the Korean Peninsula is being more broadly defined beyond right, just one. Right, yeah. and, so, and that's a, that's a starting point. So, absolutely. so congratulations, you've you've gotten your ideas in the documents. Um, so, I don't necessarily want to spend too much time on this because you've kind of alluded to it. I, I asked in a question. You talked about ways that the alliance can start to do it. TTXs, mm-hmm. um, also not siloing off the closed door discussions from the broader public, but actually finding a way to um, to break down those barriers, so right, to speak. Right. Um, what is your read? And, and you know, there are limits probably even to which you want to talk about this, but to what degree is, um, what is the level and nature of discussions about, um, I say this scenario, but these different scenarios within the Alliance as we currently, as we sit here? Um, it, it's my understanding, and I, I mentioned this in the paper, I'm on the outside, that these discussions are incipient at best. They're, they're, they're fledgling at best. And so um, what is your read on where those things stand? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great question. And again, uh, you know, to be fair, as you point out, um, you know, it, it's uh, it, uh, it, it's difficult to speak to, to things that are, are kept behind closed doors for, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, we, we should not assume uh, that just because we're not seeing something going on in public, that action isn't being taken. I always certainly, say that. Right. Certainly. Yeah. So but conversely, I mean, the larger point is that if it, if it is not showing up um, in the in the larger discourse, um, in the in the in the public space uh, as part of our our uh, b- both our uh, our narratives, but also these uh, these alliance conversations that do take place in public and that are the uh, the people who are not you know government officials outside you know experts people like uh, like you and me, um, if they're if they're not um, talking about it, then there's a there's a key piece that's missing. And so um, I mean I would like to focus most of all rather than on. Uh, trying to uh, you know to to speculate or influence on on what's going on you know in the in, in behind closed doors and talk about hey this is an alliance of two democracies and yeah. so at the end of the day the people of those countries need to believe in and be a part of um, the the larger conversations about what the alliance is is focused on and particularly um, it, it, uh, like I said it's it's important to to recognize um, that there's a there's a um, there's an element of all of this that relates back to um, the the institutional and individual biases, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I feel like regardless of uh, where we're at in terms of, you know, thinking or talking about particular aspects of it, that until we've really broken through those biases, um, that, uh, th- that the conversation has not gone far enough, right? Yeah. Um- and by biases, I mean the biases against like really looking at this possibility of a you know simultaneous conflict and really looking at how the the security of Taiwan is related to the security of South Korea. Yeah, and biases on both sides, obviously. Absolutely, right? Yeah, yeah. Different different institutional and, and cognitive biases, right? Yeah. Um, so one thing I want to ask though, and I, and I put this in one of my questions is, um, so if if USFK is reimagined or restructured for out of area contingencies. How does it affect the, the the or influence the division of labor on the peninsula? Our our current you our, our current combined is the CFC. Our current is the current combined architecture suited to navigate this, especially when we think about OPCON transition is is still a process that's afoot. Um, and South Korea, their own capability developments. It is is the current command architecture on the peninsula as well as looking at 
USFJ and the, and the Japanese SDF relationship in Japan, are these consonant with, uh, is this posture and these command relationships constant with the current environment or they, do they need to evolve? And secondly, just, just to add on to that, sure. I mean, you note, and, and I agree with this in one of your reports that inertia uh, and, and, um, and sort of shifting policy trajectories have led to the, the, the current posture being what it is. And this includes the command architecture. And this is mm-hmm. something I've looked at quite closely there are really high economic and political costs to changing that, um, particularly in peacetime. It's often some sort of crisis that focuses policymakers' attention on the needs to change it. And, and in that instance, it could already be too late if we're waiting for a crisis to, to, to change this so, or to rethink these command relationships. So I guess the t- it's a two-part question. Are the current command arrangements uh, consonant with the conditions and how how is it possible? I mean, you talk about political will being necessary. How is it possible to really evolve these in a more forward-thinking way um, when the economic and political costs are so high to do so? I mean, how can we? This isn't a new thing, and this is a long-standing issue. How do you evolve these these institutions that are so historically path-dependent and the psychologies around them in peacetime? Sure. Right. How do you do that? Yeah, so so uh, I'll, I'll address the first part, uh, you know, head on, and 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 I think you uh, you know well my answer to this is yeah the existing C two structures uh, in Northeast Asia and the Alliance C two structure uh, is not uh, designed for the the threats the challenges that we're dealing with today. I, as we mentioned in the one report about the crumbling of deterrence in uh, the Korean Peninsula, mm-hmm. it's not even set up even if you just consider North Korea isolation even, even for Korea even yeah, for yeah, Korea. Exactly. But then when you when you consider the regional factor, yeah. Yeah, it's really problematic. Um, and, and to be fair, uh, this is a, a view that I think is increasingly, you know, uh, broadly held in a lot of sectors. And, and the, the big question is, OK, what do we replace it with? Right. Uh, and, and that that's probably the, the harder part. And then also it's related to this, to what's going on in the bilateral structure with um, uh, with uh, the, the the ongoing, uh, you know, OPCON transition, which is uh, taking a lot longer than it was originally planned. Right. We've been perpetually uh, in this process of of trying to change the the uh, the structure for a long time yeah, now, it's just a never ending return of the same. I right. Like yeah. It. So uh, so I, I do think that they're they're in uh, and, and again the reports go into a lot of detail uh, on this, and I recommend yeah. that people who are interested in this you know read read the, those reports. Mm-hmm. But uh, but but there there it does have to be uh, realigned, recalibrated to really be able to deal with uh, the potential for simultaneous conflicts. Uh, for the potential for limited nuclear uh, strikes, how that would fit in um, to uh, alliance responses. Um, and then also looking at these cases, as you alluded, I think, in your opening comments that go beyond this very limited provocation where there's just, a, you know, something small scale that, that, that the ROK can deal with unilaterally, uh, something in between that and then the going to the full alliance wartime command structure where where you're uh where you're, you're fighting under you know a uh, yeah. combined forces commander that were the successor i was gonna ask so, specifically about this yeah yeah so uh and, and in particular um you know i think the reason why this is uh so uh so and i i don't think the economic cost of changing the c2 structure is is really the the issue i mean i, I think that yeah there's non-zero costs if you stand up uh, a new headquarters but maybe you can Fold in, you know, existing headquarters. Maybe you have to build some new facilities and, you know, change some C two. But it's a political. But it's a political yeah, cost. Yeah, excuse me. It's, yeah, that's yeah, no, the understanding. Uh, and, and there are political and economic, but it's the political. It's more the political. It's more the political, right? Yeah. Um, and and when when we say political, also it's 
not just national level political, but there's organizational politics involved, yeah, yeah, right? Sure. There are there are commanders who might lose authorities. There are commanders who might you know lose or add stars. I mean, so that and 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 in the ROK in the U.S., yeah. you know who relates to who, um, you know that could be uh, that could be very significant emotional events, so to speak, for the for the for the people and the organizations involved. Can I just interject so, real quickly? I know you're on a roll, but I just sure. want to interject. Look, you know, one one concern is that it, it, in tracing this opcon transition, interminable sort of delays and and changes in, in trajectory over time, you know, that it, it, it's been voiced that maybe in the event of the transition and the rock takes, takes the lead, the U S four star gets, uh, you know, goes away and it's a U.S. three star maybe. And this itself could have, this could undermine uh, reassurances to the ROK. Right. But, but actually maybe depending on how the command structure is, uh, is evolved conducive to, to better deterrent effect uh, against North Korea, depending on how it operates. Um, and you talk about the um, the inertia of existing consultative architecture, and, and you could extend this to the command uh, architecture as well. Could you maybe comment on the contradictions or cross purposes of focusing so much on reassurance of South Korea at the risk of of of, of forcing the hard questions of is this properly postured? Is the C2 proper for deterrent purposes? Because at a certain point, these things don't run side by side. Reassurance measures don't necessarily enhance deterrence. They may prevent us. They're short-term signaling measures to reassure unsteady allies or concerned allies, or maybe tamp down discussions of their own nuclear armament. But they're not actually forcing hard questions about, is this consultative structure, are we just piling new consultative mechanisms on top of old that aren't really forcing the hard questions of rethinking this. No, that, that's fair. And you, you, you know, you raise a really good point. And so this has actually been a recurring theme in our work. And I want to emphasize it's not just the Korean Peninsula as we get sure, feedback sure. all the time um, in uh, the workshops that we run from from various uh, allies and partners um, that uh, that they do recognize um, that uh, that a, a lot of the effort um, is made to reassure them that may actually be working at cross purposes with actually enhancing deterrence of, you know, a given adversary. And so this isn't just the case um, in the, in the ROK US alliance, I, I think to the to the broader point of looking at in the in the past question, I think I can tie these two together about yeah. sort of how do you get this sort of dramatic change in in a, in a C two structure absent a crisis? Mm. I do think the uh, operational, as you're alluding, that uh, the operational control transition, op, wartime opcon transition, could actually be um, a uh, because we are having to make changes to the C two structure anyway to accommodate this, or at least to some of the some of the processes and mechanisms and and the mindsets. Um, this could actually be a, a moment of opportunity. Mm. Um, but uh, but the, but this whole to to finish the thread on the on, on that question before I go back to to finishing the answer to the first one this this whole problem about uh, so much investment in reassurance versus looking at what will actually deter the adversary um, to me is indicative of the bias is actually um, the number of people involved who think deterrence is very strong yeah but think reassurance is the problem right mm -hmm. and, and and so I I think part of the 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 core issue here is that. The vast majority of people who look at North Korea see a state that is economically weak mm. and that militarily can do a lot of damage. But at the end of the day, they don't see a way that North Korea can win a war. So why would it start one? And I think it's very simplistic, uh, you know, sort of view. And, and uh, you know, we, we you know, we've talked before and we've seen the you know, in the reports, the reasons why North Korea 
very rationally could believe it could start a limited conflict that would achieve some ends for it uh, and then get to an end state that allows the uh, the regime to survive. So the point is, I think there's an overconfidence in the level of deterrence. And well, if only, uh, you know, our allies understood our capabilities and our commitment and if their public's really understood, then they would be uh, satisfied with the state of deterrence. Right? I, I, I find this that's, kind that's of worrisome. Yeah. I, 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 I. I would go a step further and find it somewhat ridiculous it, it, because I think if anyone understands the, the, the upper range of U.S. capabilities, it's North Korea. They look at this very closely. They understand the, the highest rung that we're able to bring. and we, we, we make very clear what that is, but they know this. They've been cognizant of this since the Korean War. Um, you talk in your report, and, and I'll try to make this short because we're getting <laughs> to time, but the the dichotomy you already mentioned it between how the alliance as currently constituted is we're not even talking about taiwan anymore is is postured for you know rock led this is before opcom before transition to cfc rock led self defensive measures against some sort of north korean provocation or transition to cfc full scale but that that vast internal area between that that they need to find a way to um and this is maybe rethinking the peacetime wartime dichotomy, but rethinking joint operations and combined operations in that space. Um, but they have to do so with existing forces on pen and anything that you can quickly bring to bear. Right. Right. Do you think this effort, you know, the, the, the Taylor deterrence strategy has been revised according to official documents, right? And, and, and to be more flexible, the language indicates that they are, of course, thinking hard about this and trying to fill that space. Um, I'll just, you know, where do you think they're at with that? Because that seems to me the crux of the matter. North Korea, as you said, I, I agree, they're not, they're not going to try to aggress in a full-scale blitzkrieg Korea war style effort to reunify the peninsula. But to opportunistically escalate uh, you know, with the belief that they can exploit fissures and how the allies want to respond to this and, and try to you know, essentially create further fissures down the road, that this can be the start of, 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 of pulling the alliance apart or its cohesion apart. Um, but if our, if our plans to respond to that um, aren't... aren't uh, you you talk about the the element of of speed a lot in the at least oh, it absolutely. comes out yeah. speed report, is vital right? yeah it's not even just capability but it's, but it's the, the the rapidity and the combinedness with which you respond yeah. so quick combined and calibrated is what you need quick yeah. combined and calibrated yeah. right so but and you, you stress deterrence by denial but there's still obviously a kinetic response so sure yeah denial doesn't mean non kinetic no of course it does yeah right yeah yeah, yeah yeah but so how 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 can you calibrate hitting back but not having to be so disproportionate that you don't escalate the situation, right? I know this is this is there's this is not an exact science. Obviously, sure. this is the problem, right? So, so I do think um, a, a lot of it is demonstrating both the will and capability, as you alluded, to operate in this space between all-out war and this very limited provocation, and to do that in a combined way. And I think. Again, going back to what I said earlier, you can have great plans and great ideas, great discussions behind closed doors. Yeah. But unless you are signaling to the adversary, 
your ability to operate within a particular zone of the spectrum of conflict and showing that very clearly and demonstrating it, making it part of your uh, your your force posture, your training, and these sorts of things very openly, hmm. then the adversary may not be aware. It's just kind of reminds me of uh, yeah, sure. it reminds me of Doctor Strange. Love the Doomsday Device was designed to deter a nuclear attack in the in the movie, right? Um, and uh, but then then they uh, they didn't tell anybody about it. They wanted it to be a surprise. So <laughs> yeah, sure. So <laughs> what's the point, right? Um, and so 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 the thing is, is no matter what we do in the in these uh, alliance discussions, that reassures the Korean uh, counterparts and the U.S. counterparts that. Hey, we got a great strategy for this. At the end of the day, if the if the adversary and the publics are not aware of what those specific things are that are going to help fill some of these identified, very uh, I would say um, maybe obvious is too strong of a term, but these very clear gaps. I, I agree with that. Uh, then, then what are you really having a deterrent effect? And so this is my um, this actually to finish this answer ties back to the to finishing the earlier answer, which is. Um, you point out that sometimes it takes a crisis to to get major changes and right to, to get some risk acceptance to break things loose. I think we are in a crisis. I agree, and we and we have not recognized it. This yeah. is the problem. Just because there aren't nuclear weapons from North Korea or artillery shells raining on South Korea doesn't mean we are in a crisis. Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong Un met, and Putin is openly talking about providing technologies to North Korea. Right? We can, you know, we can debate what the specifics are and whether or not the Russians help with this, the space launch in a significant way. That's a totally separate, you know, conversation. But the fact that this cooperation is so open that we see these things going back and forth, and we got these reports of North Korean artillery shells being used, and you know, there's something else coming back, yeah. and then the PRC completely shielding North Korea from a, a lot of the consequences of its actions, the alignment ideologically and, and rhetorically between Moscow, uh, Beijing and Pyongyang, and then all the progress that North Korea is making on uh, uh, on testing these new yeah. weapon systems. Uh, these sorts of things to me constitute a crisis. And the irony is that if this kind of thing was going on 10 or 15 years ago, Oh, we would be completely beside ourselves, but but we've been sort of lulled into this because it's happened over a period of time, and then we have a war going on in Europe, and sure. very important for U.S. and European security and global security. We have this uh, this conflict, uh, you know, in the Middle East as well, and and not just confined to to uh, to to the Gaza area. We we you know have U.S. warships shooting down missiles, uh, you know, uh, that are flying you know hundreds of kilometers. So uh, so it's understandable that it's hard to get people to focus on this, but make no mistake. It's a crisis and one that even though people are not dying outside of, you know, say the borders of uh, of, of North Korea on a daily basis, um, the, uh, the the point is this 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 is a conflict that hasn't erupted into open warfare. Mm. Um, but you see that the gray zone conflict is going on in the in the Taiwan Strait, in the South China Sea, in cyberspace. Um, and then, of course, on the peninsula. Uh, you know, every day with the with the CMA, uh, you know, being sure. rolled back, the, the the potential for this to explode into some actual violence and some death and destruction is, is very, very real. But um, there are just so many uh, Americans, uh, I think, that are lulled into this sense that, hey, that, you know, we've kept things uh, we've kept the lid on things. We have more time. We've got to focus on these other things. Um, or even if they're not making that decision is sort of a. a uh, okay, hey, we don't need to worry about this right now. The fact of the matter is it's just so hard to focus yeah. on anything other than those two ongoing conflicts. And that really concerns me. Yeah. Um, we're getting into time here, so I'll make this quick and, and you can give a brief response. But um, you know, I talked about we talked about inertia legacy institutions. The United Nations Command is, of course, one of those going back. It's actually the longest standing theater level command on the peninsula. So 
as we said, the Korean Peninsula is not in a strategic vacuum vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan or anything else. You've talked about the interconnectedness of security in Europe with the Indo-Pacific. I, I talked about how this is this connective tissue has been deliberately threaded um, in response to developments. Um, I, I've written and argued that, you know, short of repurposing the UNC, which has its own political costs and sure. barriers, right? And we, we won't get into those, but clearly different uh, member states of the UNC, the UK, Australia, Can Canada specifically, but others too, have, have really shown increasing fidelity to not just the UNC, but, but to security on the peninsula. And so I just maybe close the discussion with, I've, I've made the argument that greater multilateral fidelity and signaling public, regular, you know, repeated is, is a better way to uphold deterrence uh, than, than solely sort of strategic assets deployments and, and sort of what, what has the appearance of a tit for tat um, signaling cycle with North Korea at the highest levels of, of, of threat and discourse. But what what are your thoughts on the multilateral? Uh, yeah, no, I think the multilateral element is key, and we talk about that uh, in, in the reports. Uh, and and I, I do think um, there, there's two elements. Uh, number one is recognizing that uh, that having more more like-minded countries involved brings additional capability. It br brings a, a additional uh, options for for international pressure in the event of a crisis or a conflict. Um, and then it also signals. Um, uh, you know, in the case of if you're if you're doing this vis-a-vis -vis North Korea, it, it signals um, to the uh, to to the PRC that well, if you intervene, you're going to be facing more than just the ROK in the United States potentially. But then conversely, the, the this multilateral element becomes really key vis-a-vis uh, -vis the security. Um, you know, in a larger region, is basically showing. Um, the idea that if if the PRC um, were to ignite a conflict, whether it's, uh, you know, over Taiwan or, or some other uh, some other issue that it, it's not going to be able to divide and conquer yeah. and pick and choose who it gets to fight. And uh, one of the, uh, the participants in our study pointed out that a scenario in which. Uh, the PRC has to simultaneously fight the ROK, Japan and the United States, for example, and, and other countries, Australia, et cetera. Um, that's a nightmare scenario for the PRC. So if they're going to fight a war, they want to fight it on a very narrow basis. Same, I think, is true uh, for, for North Korea. Right. Uh, and so so what I'll, what I'll leave you with um, is that as much as South Koreans want to avoid being pulled into a U.S.-China war over Taiwan, and it's an understandable impulse, the very effort to try and distance themselves from that possibility and to leave open the possibility that ROK could be neutral, that USFK could be locked down even potentially, mm -hmm. that could be the very thing that undermines deterrence in the Taiwan Strait and leads the PRC to believe that it can launch yeah. this attack. And then at the end of the day, South Korea gets pulled in anyway. So yeah. my view is that yeah. to, to keep um, the, the ROK from getting pulled into a US-China conflict, the best thing the ROK can do is not is to discourage the PRC from believing that it can fight the United States without having to fight the Republic of Korea. That's that that would be my argument. Yeah, avoid uh, the war through deterring it rather than pretending you can stay out of it. Yeah, of course, right. I mean, that's the argument I make in the paper. Mm -hmm. Like you know, understandings on paper one thing, but it, it, the crises we're talking about and the interconnectedness, it doesn't matter ultimately how you feel about it. You're, you're going to be, especially the longer it lasts, you're going to longer it, it lasts. Yeah, it's it, it's going to draw. God forbid everyone in. Um, well, thank you, Marcus. You know, I, of course, we have the shadow of our own national election next year, which complicates sure. all of this uh, 
fundamentally, but w- because uh, it's too large a problem for us to tackle, we'll, we'll just leave <laughs> that aside. Um, but I really appreciate you coming to talk about right, this. Thanks. And, um, and really, uh, this is such a great, uh, important contribute contribution to the literature. And I'm uh, really glad that you, you've you been focusing on this issue. Very important. Uh, and the more, as I said, that we get this uh, educated public discourse going on this yeah. subject, then the better position we're going to be um, as the United States, as, uh, you know, as allies and partners in the Indo-Pacific. Yeah. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. Better prepared so as to avoid the actual war. Exactly. Yeah. Because because the key to deterrence is preparedness. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more Korea content, keep an eye on our podcast feed.